this is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each episode, we ask a single question. To find the answers, we speak with experts and listeners like you. This podcast contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kolodny. Unfortunately, my lovely co-host Karina is out sick this week, but she'll be back soon. This week's question is, how does body weight affect love and sex? This week's episode was inspired by an email we received from one of our listeners named Daniel. He emailed us over the summer asking if we could do an episode on how women really feel about overweight guys. I've always been uh, been pretty big. It's uh, in eighth grade. I was uh, in pushing two hundred pounds. The only time I think I was thin is when is when I came out of the womb. So, what's dating been like for you? <laughs> uh, non-existent. Um, it's uh, I've I've uh, tried, never been able to. Uh, to bridge that gap, so to speak, I've never been out on a date. I've uh, never, I've, I've very rarely been able to hold a conversation uh, with women out in public, to be honest. So even though I'm not personally overweight, as a gay man, I've spent a lot of my life trying to find love and acceptance from a world that oftentimes didn't want to give it to me. So when we got Daniel's email, I could actually relate to a lot of what he was saying, even though we have very different lives. And that really made me want to try and help him. But I know this is a very emotional topic for a lot of people, and as far as I can tell, there aren't any easy answers. So instead, I thought we'd talk with some other people who identify as overweight, and we'll hear about their experiences and their approaches to love and sex. During this episode, we'll hear from a woman who has found success and satisfaction as a plus-size adult entertainer, another woman who tells us why she proudly embraces the term fat, and is helping others recognize their own beauty, and Sarah Varney, the author of Excel Love. All right, back to my interview with Daniel. Daniel, what terminology or word do you prefer to use? Uh, overweight's the one I use the most, but I'm, I'm pretty open to everything. Have you ever been in a committed relationship? No. Okay. You did decide to try online dating, right? Yeah. And talk to me a bit about your experience with online dating. Uh, it's, uh, it's been fairly interesting. Uh, um, I've, uh, I've got a few responses, uh, nothing that's, uh, went really anywhere, but, uh, most of the time it's, you know, you, you get the notification that somebody looked at your profile and then that's it. It just, uh, it stops right there and, uh, didn't, doesn't go any further. And I've even read, uh, numerous profiles where it specifically states in their profile, uh, uh, things like, I don't want any, uh, fat and greasy guys to, to message me or anybody that's, uh, overweight, things of that nature. So it's, uh, it's been interesting, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so you feel like women don't even get the chance to know you because they just take into consideration your weight and, and don't even move forward beyond that. That's exactly it. I think my weight, when they take a look at me, uh, you know, not, and I'm not, uh, thankfully, you know, wheelchair bound or anything like that. Uh, but I, I know when they look at me, it's a, it's pretty big roadblock. Mm-hmm. What do you think about body image for men in this country? Do you think there's a lack of male body empowerment? Uh, it's uh, pretty poor. Um, it's uh, something that uh, I I don't see really at all. It's uh, uh, 
I see more female empowerment, and, and I know weight discrimination ha happens on both sides. It's unfortunate it happens at all, but when you have people like uh, Melissa McCarthy, for instance, actress in Hollywood, great image for you know plus size overweight women. There's not a whole lot of uh, plus size guys out there that are uh, you know that have a good good image for for someone like us to look up to uh I, I just it, it's more negative than positive when i when i do online dating it's you know overweight men are compared to you know like being greasy and diabetes and they're a ticking time bomb you know their heart's ready to just implode and i'm sitting around all day it's 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 stuff like that those those stereotypes it's it d doesn't do good at all for mm -hmm. for male body empowerment. What do you think our listeners should know about what it's like to be overweight? Well, that that there's more to me than uh, my my weight. There's more to me than how I look. You know, I'm not some guy that sits on the couch all day. A lot of overweight guys aren't. We're active. We do things. Uh, and a lot of us are nice guys, you know, I don't have diabetes, I don't have heart disease, I'm completely healthy, you know, and uh, us big guys should be given, should be given a chance, uh, just like everybody else, you know, a second chance, you know, to have, to look past that and to see who we really are. Amen. You know, if you were going to sort of paint the picture of the woman that you would want to be dating, what would she be like? Uh somebody who's uh nice down to earth can uh can laugh joke around be sarcastic sense of humor is is a must um you know somebody who uh who i could talk with somebody who i could uh you know uh confide in i guess i i could say uh somebody who uh who i could put on my arm and uh you know show around to to everybody i know and 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 be excited that i'm with that person that'd be the perfect woman for me this is probably going to make me sound like a sap but you guys i am a sap and i had tears in my eyes after my interview with daniel not necessarily because i was sad it's just that his story really touched me i mean here's a guy who seems incredibly sweet and incredibly genuine and all he wants is someone to share his life with, and he can't find that person. He seemed like he was really at the end of his rope, and I thought that he could benefit from hearing from what some other people who are overweight had to say. Daniel mentioned that women have role models like Melissa McCarthy to look up to, but there's another woman he might not know about, Kelly Shabari. Kelly's a plus-size adult entertainer, and she's a publicist, but she's probably best known for being the first plus-size woman on the cover of Penthouse Forum. She's also won several adult industry awards. Karina had the chance to talk with her about her journey a couple of weeks ago. What do you feel about the word plus size itself? I know you identify as a plus size yeah. model, but is that, what's your relationship with that word? You know, it's really funny. A lot of us do have this conversation that how ironic it is that we're plus size, but we're considered less than. Um, I I think that plus size is fine. You know, I think that you know you're going to have to have some sort of label that defines you when you go shopping. You know, when you 
um, describe yourself to somebody who has never seen you. Um, and if currently, you know, hopefully that will change, but if current fashion trends and fashion manufacturing makes mainstream sizing a certain thing and then you are outside of that, I think it's okay that it's called plus size. You know, um, some girls I know com- completely own the word fat. You know, if you're like, hey, if you're going to call me fat and you're going to use it in a negative bullying way, you can kind of diffuse that situation by saying, well, yeah, I guess I, ha- I-, I am fat. I have fat on my body. So what's wrong with that? And I think that the minute you say that, the bullies tend to kind of go away. I think there's a lot of confusion about the difference between being plus size and being healthy. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Um, I think it's actually more important uh, to go to your doctor on a regular basis uh, and get your blood numbers checked to get your entire body checked. Um, I know plenty of people who are considered obese by the national BMI standards who are actually extremely healthy. I also know people who are rather slender. That's unhealthy too. It's more interesting to have an interesting body than it is to have what everybody thinks you should have. You know, I mean, you can look, th- you can look at that on a TV screen or in a magazine. But when you're actually interacting with somebody in real life, it's kind of cool to have something a little bit interesting. So I venture that you've probably changed a lot of women's lives who have seen you being plus size and sexy and out there. But how did you get to that place yourself? Yeah, in my case, I mean, I'm originally from Japan. And so when you're in Japan and you're, and you're half American and you develop early, um, not only are you bigger, but you're taller than everybody. So I went through my own set of bullying from like, I think, a second grade until 11th grade, you know. And for me, it was kind of interesting when I went from a school in Japan to the U.S. Because I had been told I was, you know, fat and ugly my entire childhood. And then I came to, the, to college to the States and I realized not only am I about the same size as everybody that I was in school with, I was kind of on the smaller side. I just happened to be big in Japan. Um, and so all of a sudden you go from a situation where everybody is bullying you and teasing you to suddenly no one is teasing you or bullying you. You suddenly go, oh, I wonder why I was bullied all this time. So when we announced over our social media channels that we were going to do a podcast about love and sex for plus-size people and just the differences, the similarities, et cetera, et cetera, we got a lot of women writing in saying that they were plus-size and they were sick of being fetishized for being plus-sized. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that, you know, and and, and a lot of that has to do with entertainment, you know, what we're subjected to day in, day out, you know, Large people have always been the butt of the joke. And the only people who apparently are allowed to like us are people who are into us because it's a kink or a fetish and not because it's a preference. And I think for the longest time, because um, we were presented as um, this kind of freak show, sideshow thing, um, the only way somebody would like us is if they fetishize certain parts of our body, like either our belly or, um, you know, things that jiggle, you know. (laughs) And um, that seems to have changed over the past, I don't know, three or four years um, with plus-size models coming out, both in mainstream and in adult, Um, you know, plus-size entertainers, you know, singers, like, you know, um, 
and actresses, you know, Adele, Melissa McCarthy, those, you know, people who are actually plus size and they're not subjected to, I mean, they're, they're told they need to diet, but they're like, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to stay the way I am. And they do badass things And anyway. they do amazing things. Right. And I think that when you start seeing that, you go, um, well, maybe we're not a fetish. Maybe we're a preference. And guys as well, you know, people of the opposite sex or of the same sex who are interested and do have plus-size people as their preference are starting to become a little bit more vocal in public about, well, no, I'm not, I'm not sitting with my girlfriend or boyfriend and jiggling his fat all day long. I actually just prefer somebody who has a little bit of meat on their bones. What advice would you give to other plus-size people who are looking for love? You know, there's a plus-size movement or a fat acceptance movement. And for me, it's been more about body confidence. And so, you know, and, and that applies to anybody of any size, whether you're slender or large or tall or short. Um, or if you're an amputee, you know, there's, I have friends of mine who are all of those things. And what makes them attractive is their confidence. And so if you, um, regardless of your size, if you're able to say, look, this is my body, this is what it looks like, I'm not ashamed of it. Um, and if you don't like it, then you can go away. <laughs> um, I think that that I have found is more attractive to people of the opposite sex and of the same sex. Like, you know, friends, you know, they seem to, you know, people tend to be attracted to confident people. It's not what you look like. I mean, people might be attracted to you initially across a room for what you look like, but it's your confidence that keeps their attention. And if you're a you know, what you would call, what me, mainstream media would consider model beautiful, but your personality is not that good. You're not going to be able to keep somebody around. And, and that includes friends as well as lovers. Um, on the other hand, if you're somebody who is, you know, what, what society might not consider drop-dead gorgeous, but you are one of the strongest, most co- confident people in the room, you're going to be the one that attracts all the people because they want to hear what you have to say. I think what Kelly said about being confident is really key. I actually used to have this friend who would go out with me to the bars, and he would go up to the hottest guys in the bar, and he would just start talking to them. I mean, eight out of ten times, he got rejected. But two of those ten times, he didn't. People were just really drawn to his confidence, and I think the same can be said for anyone, no matter who they are or what their situation is. It's a little different in Daniel's case because he told me that he's using online dating sites to meet women. And admittedly, confidence can be hard to show off online. So maybe one thing you could try is venturing out into the real world more often and showing off his personality there. We'll talk more about confidence after the break. Coming up on the HuffPost Love and Sex podcast, we're going to be speaking with Sarah Varney about her book, Exile Love. We're also going to talk with a woman named Substantia, She's a photographer who's helped many people and couples feel beautiful about their shape. I want to thank you for listening to HuffPost Love and Sex. We love reading your emails and iTunes reviews. If you enjoy listening but haven't had a chance to find our show on iTunes, now is the perfect time. We're on a mission to spread sex positivity, and each time you find us on iTunes and share your review or subscribe, our show climbs the rankings, which helps other people discover it which then in turn spreads sex-positive vibes and education throughout the world, or at least to the folks who tune in. Up next is my conversation with Sarah Varney. She's a senior health policy correspondent with Kaiser Health News. 
And she's also the author of XL Love, How the Obesity Crisis is Complicating America's Love Life. Sarah is one of the very few authors who has explored obesity and its effects on relationships. How did you approach such a complicated subject? You know, what were, what were you prioritizing when you decided to take on this topic? I really wanted to make sure that the book was very much research-based. So I think that when we start talking about obesity, you know, it, we sort of start thinking that we're making a moral judgment against somebody who's overweight or obese. And that was obviously not my intention at all. It was much more to say, what do we, what do we know about the experience of being obese? So one of the very first things I did when I started to get interested in this idea, I, I, it started out actually as a story I did for NPR. So most of my work is on NPR and um, the PBS NewsHour. Um, was I started calling around and talking to marriage and family therapists around the country and just asking them, you know, to what extent do you talk about or do you hear um, questions from your clients about weight? And they said, yeah, you know, over the years, more and more, weight is really kind of the central issue for a lot of these couples. There's one character in the book who I think just very beautifully describes this idea of, you know, when you are in a sense at war with yourself, it is very hard to be in relationship with other people. Sarah told me that two out of three Americans are overweight or obese, and those numbers are continually increasing. One thing we've learned so far is that adolescence, although difficult for most people, was extremely difficult for Daniel. I wanted to know if Sarah's research provided any insight into why this might be. Walk me through what someone who's obese goes through. So what can happen during adolescence? How does that affect people as adults? Obesity really can affect children um, from you know, before they're born, but then from really the moment that they're born, it can really start to um, play havoc with how their bodies and their brains develop. So we know that um, girls and boys, but particularly girls who are obese or even overweight, will hit puberty earlier um, in general than girls who are not overweight. Um, We've seen a real um, sharp decrease um, in the age of menarche, so when girls start to get their periods. But uh, more sort of interestingly, we've also seen like a very, um, we, we see uh, many, many young girls now whose breasts are budding at very early ages. So among African Americans, for instance, where obesity rates are very high, um, we see one out of four um, girls who are seven years old whose breasts are already budding. So child psychologists are are concerned about this. Parents are concerned about this in the sense that, and when you really see this when you're in a place like Mississippi, um, where you have very young girls uh, who, you know, have very adult bodies. Um, and I actually sat down with a group of young women, young girls um, in Jackson, Mississippi at one point, um, all African-American, um, and had a very like freeform, uh, very honest conversation about kind of what that was like for them as they kind of walk through the world and the kind of attention that attracted um, and just how people treated them differently. And, you know, even though their bodies were very adult, uh, they're still developmentally, they're still, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12-year-olds. Um, so they're not quite understanding what they should be doing. Girls, obese girls, and to some extent obese boys, um, are much less likely to date and have sexual experiences when they're teenagers. There's some differences when you start to look at racial and ethnic breakdowns. Um, but overall, as a population, what's interesting is that um, – the date of sexual intercourse has actually gone up for um, U.S. children, so they're having sex later. Um, but what one thing to note is that when obese girls do have sex, one of the things that we've seen very clearly in the research um, is that the sex tends to be much um, 
much more risky. So there's more sexual partners. Um, the age of, of, of sex is younger, usually under 13. Um, and there's less likely, they're less likely to use uh, c- condoms and contraception. So then how can being overweight affect uh, relationships as adults? What I'm reporting in the book is essentially what we're finding in the literature. It's not certainly something I think should be the case. Um, But what we do know is that the Internet has actually been an incredible uh, tool for um, dating researchers. And what we can see is that indeed um, people who are overweight but particularly obese um, don't fare well, Um, I guess not surprisingly in some ways, although you would think that, again, this would have been tempered as far more people have become overweight. You would think that a lot of these biases um, against people who are overweight would have been tempered, but they really have not. So we see even among people who are overweight or obese themselves, the preferences that they put down when researchers do these types of studies is for somebody who is slender or slim or muscular if they're a man. Um, So we do find that women with um, uh, that even as these bigger bodies flooded the dating market that heavy women have remained just about everyone's last choice Um, that there was a study of about 22,000 users of this online dating service and they found that men preferred women with BMIs that were lower than their own um, and that women with higher BMIs were less likely to receive these sort of first contact emails um, and that the more women weighed the fewer overtures they received Mm mm-hmm you know, we've been talking to a lot of people, and actually when, when we told people we were going to do this podcast, we were flooded with uh, emails from people who wanted to talk to us. And a lot of them were people who are plus size or large people who have seemed to have uh, a lot of confidence, are very happy with their weight, um, especially from the women we were hearing from. They were, they were saying that they feel sexy. So... I'm wondering your thoughts about those people, even like in the New York Times review of the book, they even mentioned that you didn't interview anyone, they say, quote unquote, um, who is unremarkably healthy and happy as a large person. So what are your thoughts about people who say, I am large, I am overweight, but I like myself this way and I feel sexy? So I think that's wonderful. And But as a reporter, you know, one of the things that I do is I go and I look at the research and I say, okay, what is the research telling us? And then you find characters in a sense that are reflective of the research. So as I mentioned, in population health, there's always going to be people who are on one end of the bell curve or the other. Um, and what you would hope, of course, is that over time, those biases against people who are overweight or obese would start to fade and that there could be... Um, you know, acceptance all around of of people who are overweight. I think what I found, though, and I think what happens, unfortunately, in this conversation is, you know, you talk to people who are overweight, they oftentimes feel like they can't express the fact that they're having a really hard time with it because they feel like they've been, the message is, you just have to sort of bolster yourself up and and you can, you know, you can feel this way. It's just all in your head. Um, and I think what I really tried to do in the book, and I and I think if you take the time to sort of read the stories of the of the women in the book, is that for them, a lot of it is just, you know, they are physically not feeling well. Um, There's a lot of physical complications, obviously, from obesity, whether you have diabetes or high blood pressure or you're concerned that you're going to have a stroke or if you're a man, if you're having sexual dysfunction issues. So a lot of this stuff is not necessarily just, oh, I feel good about myself. It's honestly physical things that they're having to deal with. I think it's important to consider health when we're having this discussion. And I think Sarah has some really intriguing data about what's going on in America today. However, it's safe to say that there's some strong feelings about XL love within the plus-size community. Any book 
that by the end of it preaches that you you must lose weight in order to be happy or to be sexually fulfilled or to find love. Any book that uh, makes itself the mouthpiece of the angst industrial complex and convinces you that you must conform to the Western beauty ideal, the very narrow Western beauty ideal in order to be happy, that's something you want to avoid because um, – uh, I've been fat for most all of my adult life. I've seen more naked fat people than a Lane Bryant fitting room. And I can tell you, we're getting laid on the regular. We're we're happy. We're sexually fulfilled. We, you know, um, our, our problems involve, you know, keeping closet cases away from us. But um, we are not we are not interested in conforming to your narrow beauty ideal. That's Substantia Jones. She's a body politics activist and creator of the photo activism campaign, The Adipositivity Project, which launched in 2007. Karina had the chance to interview her a couple of weeks ago, and Substantia explained that she calls herself fat because plus size is a fashion term, and she doesn't think it's appropriate to refer to a human as plus size. She also thinks that fat is a morally neutral descriptor. The point of the project is to – well, first of all, the word adipositivity is a portmanteau of uh, the words adipose, which mean fat, literally, and positivity. And the mission of the project is to combat sizist bigotry and weight-related misinformation and to promote body love and uh, the recognition of an individual's body autonomy as well as – uh, to promote critical thinking about the role that commerce plays in the dissemination of medical science and um, health reporting, which I say with air quotes. Uh, and I do this through some other forms, written and spoken forms, but primarily with photography. Um, it, it's no secret anywhere you look, you can uh, you see that photography is uh, a commonly used tool for the um, – for creating body shame. Uh, I like to subvert that tool and use it to demystify the fat body. And uh, it's important because I'm going to have to paraphrase this, but the writer Juno Diaz uh, said, if you want to create a monster out of a human being, uh, deny them at the cultural level any representation of themselves. Substantia has never had a shortage of models for her project, and I find that really exciting. Before she left, she had a few parting words of advice. The one bit of advice I would give to anyone seeking love, including fat people, but it really applies to everyone, is um, be honest and kind and don't let anyone be otherwise with you. It's great. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's really, you know... People like to think about the differences between fat love and sex and love and sex for people with normative bodies. But for the most part, it's it's the same. You know, fat people are are loved and unloved just as the general public is. Um, fat people are having good sex and not having good sex, just same as the general public. But, you know, we ultimately you want to – you want to find someone who is honest and kind. Those are the things across the board. If you're honest, um, honest about your preferences, honest about uh, all your little kinks, that's really the bottom line for um, 
the basis of any relationship, I think. I think that advice from Substantia might be the best advice I've heard for Daniel or for anyone else who's listening. And it's something that Karina and I talk about all the time on this show. The more honest we can be with ourselves and each other, the better our lives in and out of the bedroom will be. You know, it's not easy being someone who doesn't fit into what society tells us we should look like or be like or think like. But that doesn't mean we can't win at love and at life. You know, guys, it's like I said at the start of this episode. There are no easy answers when it comes to finding love. For Daniel, or for any of us. But it can and does happen every day. You just have to keep getting up, and getting out there, and staying open to the possibilities. That's it for this week's episode of HuffPost Love and Sex. Thanks to our producer, Caitlin Baguki, our editor and sound designer, Nick Offenberg, and our designer and production assistant, Lauren Bell. This episode would not have been possible without feedback and ideas from you, our listeners. So let us know what you think of the show. Leave a review on iTunes and share your stories and ideas with us by sending an email to loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. We'll be back in two weeks with an episode featuring the women from the heart, a podcast from Radiotopia.